perspective. And welcome to the Table of Perspective, where we take a deeper look into how the internal narrative of an individual determines the response to life itself and all it entails. Today, I will be your host, Bueller, and I'll be going into Fearfully and Wonderfully Made by Dr. Paul Brand and Philip Yancey. This is going to be part two of this reading of the book, and I'll be elaborating a little bit of what is written in and some chapters that they had collaborated on together right after our first song. So please do enjoy. on the track That boys they mention my name More than a killer feet Sharing one thing all in common I'm what they couldn't be Moving like snakes in the grass I'm on alert Last time I gave them a chance it was the first. Who? Which one of them? One is like two. Y'all better drop it for ten, cause my time is like. That took forever to let you know just how I move. These days they judge what they can't do. Always new ways, Chrome House too. So worry about me, folks, about you. I had Epiphany, Tiffany missing me. Asking me questions and trying to get rid of me. Hitting that work and the one with another lie. I wish you well, cause you're not one of mine. Them boys that mention my name. More than a killer feet. Sharing one thing all in common. I'm what they couldn't be. Moving like snakes in the grass. I'm on alert. Last time I gave them a chance. It was a first. Nah, it was the last. Foot on the neck in the gas. I must adapt. Change is important, that's facts Quit riding waves Hit me tomorrow and love me today Don't reminisce We send the shots and we do not miss Tell you what I'm gonna give you, snakes What are they gonna give us? Drop of attack They just lost all my respect Let them pull up with the left We can't recover what's next They think I'm done They keep on playing with the kid They're just my sons Talking like that could get hit Them boys, they mention my name more than a killing feet Sharing one thing all in common I'm what they couldn't be Moving like snakes in the grass I'm on alert Last time I gave them a chance It was the first So a little bit of background Paul Brand is a world-renowned hand surgeon and leprosy specialist. Now in semi-retirement, he serves as a clinical professor emeritus. He is in the Department of Orthopedics at the University of Washington, and he was a co-author with Philip Yancey. Philip Yancey serves as an editor-at-large for Christianity Today magazine. His most recent book is What's So Amazing About Grace? His book, The Jesus I Never Knew, won the 1996 Gold Medallion Book of the Year Award. Yancey has written six Gold Medallion Award-winning books, and he lives in Colorado. 
So in the previous show about this specific book, I had gone into the preface and some of the first chapter where Dr. Paul Brand had spoken about the in-depth matter of the cell, specifically the amoeba. And today I'm going to go straight into a bit of diversity. I found that this chapter was really, it was really thorough and quite enjoyable to read. And I think it relates to a lot of the human matter and the human factor, so to say, in looking at reality and spirituality as a not separated thing, but very much combined aspect. So in this chapter, I just wanted to quickly add in the reason being why it is so intriguing is because it speaks about humanity as also being part of the cell. And now it speaks about the diversity of the cell. The exception seems to be the rule. The first humans God created went out and did the only thing God asked them not to do. The man he chose to head a new nation known as God's people tried to pawn off his wife on an unsuspecting pharaoh. And the wife herself, when told at the ripe old age of 91 that God was ready to deliver the son he had promised her, broke into rasping laughter in the face of God. Rahab, a harlot, became revered for her great faith. And Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived, went out of his way to break every proverb he so aesthetically composed. Even after Jesus came, the pattern continued. The two disciples who did most to spread the word after his departure, John and Peter, were the two who he had rebuked most often for petty squabbling and muddle-headedness. And the Apostle Paul, who wrote more books than any other Bible writer, was selected for the task while kicking up dust whirls from town to town, sniffing out Christians to torture. Jesus had nerve in trusting the high-minded ideals of love and unity and fellowship to this group. No wonder cynics have looked at the church and sighed. If that group of people is supposed to represent God, I'll quickly vote against them. Or as Nietzsche expressed it, his disciples will have to look more saved if I am to believe in their saviour. Yet our own study of the body of Christ must allow for this impossible dream. For we all are is a collection of people as diverse as the cells in the human body. I think of the churches I have known. Is there another institution in town with such a mosaic assortment of unlikes? Young radicals uniformed in jeans share pews with Republican bankers in three-piece suits. Bored teenagers tune out the sermon even as their eager grandparents turn up their hearing aids. Some members gather as methodically as a school of fish, then quickly break apart to return to their jobs and homes. Others want close communities and migrate together like social amoebae. I could easily cluck my tongue at the absurdity of the whole enterprise, seemingly doomed to fail. Jesus prayed that we may be one, as he and God are one. And that's in John 17 verses 11. How can any organism composed of such diversity attain even a semblance of unity? As the doubts rumble inside me, a sober and quieting voice replies, You have not chosen me, I have chosen you. The chuckle at Christ's body is caught in my throat like cotton. For if anything is to be believed about the collection of people who follow him, it is that we are called by him. The word church, ecclesia, means the called out ones. Our crew of comedians from central casting is the group God wants. During my life as a missionary surgeon in India, and now a member of the tiny chapel on the grounds of Carville Leprosy Hospital, I have seen my share of unlikely seekers after God. And I must admit that most of my worship in the last 30 years has not taken place among people who have shared my tastes in music, speech, or even thought. 
But over those years, I have been profoundly and humbly impressed that I find God in the faces of my fellow worshippers by sharing with people who are shockingly different from each other and from me. C.S. Lewis recounts that when he first started going to church, he disliked the hymns, which he considered to be fifth-rate poems set to sixth-rate music. But as he continued, he said, I realized that the hymns, which were just sixth-rate music, were nevertheless being sung with devotion and benefit by an old saint in elastic side boots in the opposite pew. And when you realize that you aren't fit to clean those boots, it gets you out of your solitary conceit. A color on a canvas can be beautiful in itself. However, the artist excels not by slathering one color across the canvas, but by positioning it between contrasting and complementary hues. The original color then derives richness and depth from its milieu of unlike colors. The basis for our unity within Christ's body begins not with our similarity, but with our diversity. And going straight into a little bit about worth in the following chapter, it kind of elaborates more on the past of Dr. Paul Brand and how he actually came about to have this perspective. But I'll be elaborating a bit more on that just after the second song. So please do enjoy
close off with chapter four of Worth. And this is where Dr. Paul Brand actually speaks about a bit of his upbringing and how his perspective was shaped by the influence of his parents in the place that he had grown up. So it says that as a boy growing up in India, I idolized my missionary father who responded to every human need he encountered. Only once did I see him hesitate to help when I was seven and the strange men that trudged up the dirt path to our mountain home. At first glance, these three seemed like hundreds of other strangers who streamed to our home for medical treatment. Each was dressed in a breechcloth and turban with a blanket draped over one shoulder. But as they approached, I noticed differences, a mottled quality to their skin, thick swollen foreheads and ears, and strips of blood-stained cloth bandaging their feet. As they came closer, I noticed that they also lacked fingers, and one had no toes. His limbs ended in a rounded stump. My mother's reaction differed from her normal gracious hospitality. Her face looked pale, tense in appearance. Run and get Papa, she whispered to me. Take your sister and both of you stay in the house. My sister obeyed perfectly, but after calling my father, I scrambled on hands and knees to a nearby vantage point. Something sinister was happening and I didn't want to miss it. My heart pounded violently as I saw the same look of uncertainty, almost fear, pass across my father's face. He stood by the three nervously, awkwardly, as if he didn't know what to do. I had never seen my father like that. The three men prostrated themselves on the ground, a common Indian action that my father disliked. I am not God. He is the one you should worship. He would usually say and would lift the Indians to their feet, but not this time. He stood still. Finally, in a weak voice, he said, there's not much we can do. I'm sorry, but wait here as you are. Don't move. I'll do what I can. He ran to the dispensary while the men squatted on the ground. Soon he returned with a roll of bandages, a can of salve, and a pair of surgical gloves he was struggling to put on. This was most unusual. How could he treat them wearing gloves? Father washed the stranger's feet, applied ointment to their sores, and bandaged them. Strangely, they did not wince or cry out as he touched their sores. While father bandaged the men, mother had been arranging a selection of fruit in a wicker basket. She set it on the ground beside them, suggesting they take the basket. They took the fruit but left the basket, and as they disappeared over the ridge, I went to pick it up. No, mother insisted, don't touch it. And don't go near the place where they sat. Silently, I watched father take the basket and burn it, then scrub his hands with hot water and soap. Then my mother bathed my sister and me, though we had no direct contact with the visitors. That incident was my first exposure to leprosy, the oldest recorded disease and probably the most dreaded disease throughout history. Although I might have recoiled from the suggestion as a boy of seven, I eventually felt called to spend my life working among leprosy patients. For the past 30 years, I have been with them almost daily, forming many intimate and lasting friendships among these courageous people. During that time, many exaggerated fears and prejudices about leprosy have been crumbled, at least in the medical profession, partly because of effective drugs. Leprosy is now viewed as a controllable, barely contagious disease. However, in most parts of the world, less than a quarter of leprosy patients are actually under any form of treatment. Thus, to many, it is still a disease that can cause severe lesions, blindness, and loss of hands and feet. And so it goes now into how it doesn't cause that specific illness and how the illness actually damages the body. As he had studied leprosy patients in India, and he kind of goes into his findings about that. But as a whole, just reading several parts of the book, it is something that is exceptional in the way that it is written. 
the narrative is so enjoyable to read through. It doesn't feel like a struggle in trying to understand certain terms because he explains everything so well. And just that interweaving rather of spirituality and reality, how the biblical narrative determines very much his response to life itself and all that it entails is just such an encouraging book to read. And as you start in this new year, it's definitely something that you might want to inform yourself on and it will definitely help in shaping your perspective. So that's all from me. I hope that you found that enjoyable. And yes, I do encourage you to get Fearfully and Wonderfully Made by Dr. Paul Brand and Philip Yancey as something as a gift for someone you love, someone you know, or as a gift to yourself. It is something you will not regret reading. So that's all from me. Do enjoy. Cheers. Stay updated, stay entertained with Active FM on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, TikTok. 
Apple Podcasts, YouTube, LinkedIn, Spotify, Anchor, and everywhere else. Engage with us, like posts, comment, share them out, retweet, retweet, and repost. Spread the word. Active FM. Radio has never been better.